Wonderful to see you this morning. Is it wonderful to be here? What a beautiful day to worship our great and awesome God. Uh, before we go turn to God's Word, I, I just wanted to take a couple moments to, to thank you, but more than that, to thank our God for what He's done over this last year. Uh, we had a problem this morning here in our, our um, service. We ran out of bulletins, and we ran out of communion cups. We had to go make more. That's a good problem to have. Uh, it's so good to see many of you coming back. I know many of you are with us online still and are uh, going to be a few more weeks, so some more time before you're able to join us. Um, but I just want to thank each one of you for being here this morning with us, uh, whether you're joining online or joining here in church. Um, but I'd like to thank our God. Uh, I think it's appropriate that we recognize the work that He has done and that He continues to do. He, he, he brings trials into our lives and allows trials to come into our lives so that we can grow, so that we can be challenged in our faith, and it causes us to depend on Him. It causes our faith to grow. And uh, this last year has been one of those years that's really challenged us in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and as we, as we just recognize that, that we've been apart a lot, um, and, and changes have, have come into our lives in various ways. And it's challenged our relationships. It's challenged the way we interact with one another. And, and we all have different views on a lot of things, uh, from... Sometimes politics to uh, sometimes maybe a, our favorite Bible verse and how we interpret it. Sometimes, you know, how we do pandemics. Um, but I want to commend you and I want to thank our God for the way that He has worked through you over this last year you've, as you've continued to minister to one another. I know that, that we've had our fair share of, share of challenges and we still have uh, challenges that are ahead of us and there will be new trials and new persecution and new temptations that we face but continue to serve our great God, continue to serve and love one another. And I, I just wanted to take a moment just to say thank you to you for the way that you've continued to love one another. I want to challenge you to not lose sight of that. I want to challenge you to not let, lose sight of the ministry that God's called you to. Uh, be faithful in, in the gifts that he's given to you. Be faithful in studying and memorizing his word, hiding it in your heart. Be faithful in prayer. Uh, be faithful in your fellowship with the saints. Don't neglect these things. And as things might get easier compared to what we've been through over this last bit, uh, don't, let that, uh, don't become complacent in the midst of that. Might we continue to keep our eyes focused on Him? And so let's just give our God thanks um, for what He's done. Um, I want to do something a little different since we've got a little extra time here at the beginning of service. It's been a while, uh, but I'd like you to stand up and I'd like you to turn around and, and greet someone. Don't greet anyone with a holy kiss yet. We're not quite there yet. But uh, as appropriate, if you just um, greet someone, just, just to let them know it's good to see them. Well, you guys look all by yourselves over here. I'm still on mic. I'm still.
don't we start coming together? encourage you to find your way to your seats. I know it's been a few solid months since we've had a greeting like that, and so everybody's enjoying that. But as we continue our worship, I encourage you to come back, and we're going to continue as we turn to God's Word this morning. If you would join me as we uh, turn to Scripture and continue our worship by observing and, and examining the Word of God, if you would uh, join me in a word of prayer. Uh, our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks. I, I give you thanks for the work that you continue in your people. Uh, you've promised that, that you would uh, continue and complete the work that you began in us. And so as we've faced some difficult times, we thank you for how you've demonstrated that. Father, you continue that work today. You will continue that work until eternity and until you make us whole and you free us from the presence of sin in our lives. We thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, we just thank you for this day. What a wonderful, beautiful thing it is to gather together with your people so that we can worship you. You are so beautiful and amazing and awesome. And, uh, and so now we turn to your word for you to instruct us. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that your spirit would shed light in those places in our soul and our hearts where we need light and where things need to change. I pray that you would convict us of sin. I pray that your word would exhort us. I pray that it would encourage and that it would, um, above anything else, would glorify you, would magnify your son Jesus Christ, and would give your Holy Spirit an opportunity to fill us, to control us as we walk in obedience to your word. Please teach us now, we pray. Amen. Well, you know, legends told of King Midas, whose hands turned everything into gold. Many of you have heard of Midas's touch. As the legend goes, everything that he touched turned to gold, and, and all the things that he loved the most uh, became solid gold. And the irony of the story, of course, is that his daughter came in, and, and when she came to greet him, uh, he killed her by touching her, and, and she turned to gold. Well, the, the rich veins that run through the land of, of the churches that we've been talking about lately, there's rich veins of precious metals which once covered what is now modern-day Turkey. And it was said that, that those gold veins came as a result of Midas's touch. But that's all lore and legend and things of, of stories in the past. Uh, ancient historians, however, have left us with another story of a different king whose name was Croesus. And Croesus, like Midas, uh, was a man that was rich in gold. He was known as, as probably one of the um, richest kings that ever lived. A real king who reigned over what was once the great empire of Lydia, which is now modern-day Turkey, uh, was later on after his, his day, the area where the churches existed that we've been looking at in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It's told that Croesus was the richest man on earth, and likely he was responsible for the creation of the first gold coins that became the standard currency in the land. You can see an example of, of some of those, one of those coins and some of the jewelry there. And with his vast riches and coffers, he, he made an alliance with Sparta, with Egypt, with Babylonia. And in 547 B.C., uh, he launched a campaign against the growing empire of Persia and their new king, a, a young man named Cyrus the Great. And they fought a great battle. And the battle ended in a draw. 
And with winter setting in upon the armies, Croesus chose to do what was common in those days. When the fighting was done, whether it was a victory or a defeat or just a draw as in this case, the armies would go their separate ways and they'd go home. And they would stay in their cities and stay in their fortresses until the following spring when the snows had melted. Croesus chose to follow common custom of withdrawing until the land would thaw. And so he withdrew his army back to the Lydian Peninsula and he wintered in the citadel of Sardis. However, Cyrus had a different idea. Cyrus broke rank, and he decided he was going to pursue Croesus and all of his wealth. And so he took his army right into the face of winter and took it right to the gates of Sardis itself. With winter setting in and the security of Sardis, the Sardis of Cropolis unrivaled, uh, Croesus left the city undefended and the walls unattended. He and his men... Confident in the security of their walls and the cliff face that they lived up on top of, they withdrew into the city and uh, he and his men settled in to rest well during the night. As tradition is told, one of the men dropped his helmet off of the wall and it fell down the cliff face. And so when the sun began to go down, he took a secret narrow passage down the, the face of the wall and down the cliff and on his way back up, one of Cyrus's men observed him making his entrance into the city. And so that night, while Croesus and his men slept, Cyrus sent a company of his strongest and bravest men to scale the narrow passageway up the walls of Sardis. And we're told that they came in like a thief. Cyrus captured the prosperous monarch and while he was unaware. And he placed Croesus on a pyre of wood and set it on fire before he appropriated the entire Lydian kingdom and all of its untold wealth. It was just a little bit over 300 years later, there's another king, a king named Antiochus III. And he came and he attacked that same citadel of Sardis. And while he distracted the defenses on one side, he fought against one wall of the city of Sardis. And he got all their attention here. Again, he sent some of his bravest troops around by a secret way and they found that secret passage and they went back into the city of Sardis. Back into the fortress. His men scaled the same walls in order to take the city by surprise once again. And the people of Sardis had fallen asleep. And their enemy came against them like a thief. As we continue our study of the seven churches of Revelation with the fifth church and then find this church of Sardis, like some of its ancient kings, the church, we learn, had fallen asleep. And so if you would turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as we examine this letter of the church of Sardis, I've asked David if he would do our scripture reading for us this morning. Chapter 3, it reads, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you will still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not spoiled their garments and will walk with me in the white. For they are worthy. The ones who conquers will be clothed in thus white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name to my Father and before the angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
As with all of the churches, Jesus begins his letter with a greeting to the messenger of the church that he names. In this case, he names Sardis. Uh, as the messenger would have been the pastor, or the, an- the word means angel or the messenger. And so um, he-, he addresses this pastor and the congregation in the city of Sardis, this ancient citadel. Now, in New Testament times, when Jesus wrote this letter, the, uh, the-, the city of Sardis was actually located down the mountain. Uh, you can see the, the ancient citadel there above it, and the, but unlike times in the past, they had built their city down at the bottom of the mountain. And so every day when a person went from work to their, to their homes and back and forth, they would have a, a visible reminder up above them of what happens when one falls asleep on the watch. The ruins laid across, uh, today they lay across the railroad tracks from the present day city of Sartre. But Sardis... Um, it, it, was, it was known not only for this great fortress that it was built on, and it was n- known not only for its great wealth in the gold veins that lined these mountains, uh, but Sardis was also known for something else. It was known for its mud deposits. A lot of mud deposits in the area, and with those mud deposits and the, the rains, uh, it was known for its earthquakes and for the ensuing, um, the ensuing floods and um, landslides. Uh, it was a land that offered and promised incredible riches, but in the end, it oftentimes brought destruction and weakness instead. It was a land that was known for its security, but it was also known for the people that fell asleep on their watch. And so this is the city that Jesus writes to in the context that they would have been well aware of every day. Jesus goes on and He, he, he writts then to the words of, uh, he says, these, these are, thus it says the Lord. These are the words of me, Jesus, your Savior, your God. And in each one of these letters, he takes this, this section of the letter to describe himself in a way that's very pertinent to the needs of that particular church. And for, Jesus, and for the, the city of Sardis and the church that was there, uh, Jesus continues and he says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You see, with Sardis' own set of problems and its historical background, Jesus introduces himself as the one who has the seven spirits and the one who has the seven stars. When we first hear that, that's not terminology that we normally refer to in New Testament in our churches, but in chapter 1, Jesus very specifically said, this is what I mean by the seven stars. This is what the seven stars are. And he and he, he talks about those, the seven spirits of God back in chapter 1 as well. And we, we talked about that and discussed how the seven spirits was a figurative picture that came from one of the prophecies of, of a prophet named Zechariah. Back in Zechariah, in one of his visions, he had expressed this vision of the Holy Spirit. And he called it the seven spirits of God and, and noted how full the Holy Spirit is. It was an expression of, of His fullness and in his vision, he saw the Spirit as one who spread out over the whole earth. In other words, the Holy Spirit can't be contained in his power. He can't be contained in his presence. Jesus says, I'm the one who has the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives life. He knows all things. And so as the church of Sardis is being addressed by Jesus, it's important for them to understand that the Holy Spirit is in their midst and, and, and he can't be contained by anything. And so he's the one that can testify of who they are, of what their problems are, what their strengths might be. And he can testify of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has come to do. He testifies to the work of the churches and he testifies to the work of Jesus himself. And he ensures also that the judgments of God are righteous because he knows all things and he knows what's true and can testify appropriately. 
Jesus introduces Himself as the one who has the Holy Spirit. He is the one who sovereignly works together with the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus writes a letter and says, I have this to say to you, we need to listen, don't we? Because not only is He God Himself, but He is working with the Holy Spirit who knows us intimately just as much as Jesus does and testifies to us. But He also says that He's the one who has the seven stars. Does anybody remember what the seven stars were? We saw seven golden lampstands which were the seven churches. In chapter 1, He said something about seven stars as well. That Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars. In chapter Later in chapter 1 or chapter 2, he says he's the one that, that grasps the seven stars. What were those seven stars? Does anybody remember what they were? The angels. Good. The messengers. Or as most inter- would interpret that, these were the pastors of those churches. And so Jesus notes to the city of Sardis, he says, I'm, I'm the one who holds the seven stars, these seven messengers or pastors. He holds them in his hand. In other words, he says to the church of Sardis, I, I'm in control. I am in control of, of, of these pastors. It's not that, that they are sinless individuals. I, I'm certainly not. I make mistakes. I say things that, that I don't mean and I stumble over my words. Sometimes I call Joshua Caleb and I call uh, Jacob jo- Joseph and I mix my words around. But, um, but Jesus is sovereign in our lives and He's sovereign in the leadership of the churches. They're protected by Him, but they will also face His discipline when they refuse to, to obey. Jesus in His sovereign control uh, he chooses to work in the church through the Spirit and through the leaders that He places there. And He wants the people of Sardis to remember those things. Now, we've talked about the format of these letters. Uh, and so a little, little pop quiz. I want to interact a little bit today. We, we've talked about how these letters are put together. And each one of those letters, as I noted, he starts with a section where he says, to this city, to the messenger of, of Sardis, of Philadelphia, of Laodicea. Uh, and, and then there's a section where he says, from... Uh, what are some of the other sections that usually Jesus includes in all of these seven letters? And you have a cheat sheet right in front of you, but see if you can remember without that. What's the, what usually comes next? Yeah, he usually talks about what they've done, what they've done right or wrong. Uh, he says, I, I know your works, your deeds. Uh, a couple instances, he says, I know your tribulation. I know, your, uh, I know where you dwell. But normally he says, I know your works. I, I see you. I, I know you. And then he goes into a section after he says, I know your works, which he does what? I have this against you. Doing all these things, great. Keep on going. I have a lot of positive things to say for you. I'm so proud of you. Well done. You keep on going. But I've got some things against you. There's some stuff we've got to work on here because as a church, we're really struggling here and I I want you to grow in this area. And so, uh, two from I know your works, and he commends them, and I have these things against you, and he, he talks about some things that condemn them. Uh, and then from there, he, he goes into one of two sections. He alters these last two sections, but what are the last two? Those who overcome. Okay? And so he writes a section to the overcomer, and so it's, a, it's a promise. A section of promises for those who are believers. Not those who walk perfectly in obedience and obey everything perfectly in the letter, but those who are already overcomers because they have faith in Jesus Christ and He has made them an overcomer. And so therefore, because they have victory, these things should motivate them. Because they have these promises that Jesus has given them, it should motivate them to obedience and following the commands in the letter. And in the last section... What's that? No, no curses. One more section. Wait. Ears to ear. Ears, ears to ear. 
ears to hear. All right, yeah, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we're going to jump ahead to that last part of the, the passage today, and I want to remind you that Jesus says to each one of these churches, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so if you have ears, we've determined every single week that every single one of us does. Some of them work better than others, but we all have ears. And if you don't have ears, you have eyes and you can read the words on the paper. If you know these words and can read these words, Jesus says, I want you to read them. I want you to hear them. But they're not just for Sardis. They're not just for Ephesus. These are not just words for a church that, where the people have died 2,000 years ago. These are words that I wrote to them, but I want you to pay attention to. And so to what evangelical free church, you need to listen to what God says to the church of Sardis. You as an individual, you need to listen to what God said to this church of Sardis and say, okay, whoa, could Jesus say those same things about me? Could He say to me, well done, I know your works, I know you. Could we go, wow, cool, I think I'm, I'm doing well there. Could He also say, I have this against you? And so as we continue through this book and continue through this letter to the church of Sardis, today I want you to pay attention and ask yourself, is this letter written to me specifically? And it is, but are these things pertinent specifically to the struggles that I'm facing today? Well, we've looked at the to part. We've looked at the from part. And now Jesus goes on and He talks about, uh, He says, I know your works. But something different happens here. He says, I know your works, but there's no positive attributes that Jesus makes remarks on. He says, I know your works. I see you. But then He jumps right to the things that they're doing wrong. The only thing good that they had going for them is they had a good reputation that wasn't accurate. The good reputation wasn't correct. And so Jesus says, I know your works, but there's no positive attributes that Jesus made remarks to. And so I want you to jump right to the next section of your notes and just skip over that section because Jesus does not commend them for anything. He jumps right into the things that He has against this dead church. In this section, Jesus gives us three signs. Three signs of a dead church. Three signs of a dead or a dying Christian walk. And so these are three things that each one of us should look at as we read this passage and say, is this true of me? Is, are there places in my walk with Jesus Christ? Is, is, it, is it true of the Wood Evangelical Free Church that these things are happening here like they were in Sardis? Three signs of a dead or dying church or a dead or dying Christian walk. Might it be true of us? The first sign that we see of a dead church is that a, de a dying church relies on the past. Jesus says to them, He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you're dead. You're dead. Sardis was a church that had history. In the ruins of the city, archaeologists have actually found several artifacts that once were inscribed with pagan symbols. Uh, they had, they had um, symbols that, that were devoted to all the, the gods that they worshipped. However, a lot of those tombstones and jewelry, uh, various household items that we've now found a couple thousand years later, those symbols are scratched out. They're, they're, they're etched out as if, as if someone says, I don't worship this God anymore. And in their place were symbols of menorahs and crosses and, and the Christian ichthus, the fish that, that represents Christianity. 
These symbols were scratched into these household items and jewelry in place of the God that they once worshipped. It seems that the early church in their history, they, they turned from their paganism and, and they took a clear stand within their community to say, I worship Jesus. Jesus is the one I choose. He is my God. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to be a fisher of men. I'm going to be His disciple. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that He died for me and I belong to Him. Isn't that wonderful? And other churches and other people saw this. And the people in their community saw this and said, wow, you're committed. You're really in this. The other churches like maybe Philadelphia, Ephesus, they saw Sardis and said, oh yeah, all the beautiful jewelry you have that you have your fish on. We kind of do the same thing, don't we? We wear our cross necklaces. We, we put a picture of Jesus on our wall. We get on Facebook and we quote our favorite Bible verse. And, and oftentimes we have a reputation for being alive. But how many of us would Jesus say you have a reputation? but you're dead. You see, perhaps the church of Sardis was seen by their neighboring churches as a congregation that was spiritually on fire, but whatever was taking place on the outside had taken place there in the years previous. Jesus saw through the facade and He calls them out for what they were. They were dead. They were relying on the past for their walk with the Lord today. Churches need to listen to this counsel from Jesus and ask the hard questions. Does our church have a reputation for being alive because of what God has done in the past? You can't continue that ministry in your walk with the Lord based just on what He's done before. It's the foundation of everything that comes after. But if there's nothing happening in my relationship with Him today, I need to take stock of what's wrong. What about us individually? We are individually in the same danger of the same trap that the church of Sardis walked into. The Christian walk is not accumulative. Sometimes we get this idea that, okay, fill it up, fill it up. Oh man, this relationship with Jesus is wonderful. And okay, it's full. We're going to stop right there. And then I'm just going to continue my Christian walk for the next 40 years with what I've got right here. The Christian walk doesn't work that way. It's not something that I get it all in the first five years and then I'm good for the next 40. i got my fire insurance. I'm in. Never deceive yourself into thinking that a vibrant Christian walk in the past will continue to bring new life in the future. The Christian walk demands that the believer is continually filled with the Holy Spirit. A Christian that is content to rely on the past is going to dry up and die. How many of you have ever been driving down to Davenport? And as you're driving down Highway 61, um, the, the rains have come in, the Wapsi has, has flooded, and what happens to that whole area? Miles and miles and miles of what? Just water everywhere. The trees are underwater. Uh, if, you, if you go down those highways, there's an entire area down by these rivers that are just filled with water. But what happens when the Wapsie goes down? That water just stays there, doesn't it? And no fresh water comes in to replenish what was there before. And so the water just stinks. 
flies, mosquitoes, bugs come in. Some good fishing probably, but boy, it's miserable and ugly down there. And it smells. And so when a, a lake dries up that has, uh, when a, excuse me, when a lake refuses fresh water, one of two things happen. It either becomes stagnant or it dries up and it, it dies. And a Christian that is content to rely on the past is like a lake that refuses fresh water. It will dry up or get stagnant. The first sign that a church is dying or dead is that it relies on the past. The second sign is that a dying church rests in complacency. You see, Sardis was very familiar with complacency, weren't they? It was part of their history. Twice over a a period of, of 300 years in their past, they had been complacent and fallen asleep. Once their king rested his armies while Cyrus knocked at his door, and in the confidence that everything was safe, the city fell. A second occasion, they failed to pay attention to everything going on around them. You see, Sardis was a city that had gone to sleep on their watch. And so Jesus calls the church out. And his, simple, his command is very simple. He has one command for them as, to, as far as what needs to happen now. What is it? Wake up! Wake up! It's that simple. You're dead. You've fallen asleep. You've become complacent in the things in the past and you're complacent about what I've called you to do today. Stop sleeping. You must be alert and watch. My friends, you and I cannot afford to not pay attention. And so we have to ask, are there places where our church thinks that we can rest complacently and proceed with the confidence that everything is just fine? Everything's going to be okay. We're going to get through it and and we don't need to pay attention to, to the problems that may be. When Jesus commands them to strengthen what remains, He's commanding them to fan into flame the embers of a once great church that burned brightly for their Savior. But they need to wake up today. Again, individually, in your life, does everything seem like it's under control and, and, and you come to that point where you can just slack off? You ever come to that point where you think you know, things are, are, are under control and, and I, I can... I can just let God do what He's going to do and I don't need to, to get involved in these ministries. I don't need to be hiding God's Word in my heart. I did all that when I was in Awana growing up. I don't need to memorize God's Word today. I've read the Bible through ten times. The whole thing. I don't need to do that anymore. Sometimes it feels like everything's under control and so we slack off in the things that God has called you to be a part of. Your service is needed. We need nursery workers. We need youth workers. We need help with the WANA. There are things around the church that need to be done. And if we sit around going, eh, I've done my time. I've put in my hours. I'm going to let somebody else do it and they can take their turn because I've put in the years already. That's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to be active in ministry and pursuing our service to Him and to others. My friends, not only is your service needed, but your prayers are needed. God calls you to be a servant that is before His throne. To come before your King on a regular, everyday, intimate basis where it's part of your life throughout the day. Some of you have had a vibrant walk in prayer in the past. Where is that today? God calls you to memorize His Word. 
strengthen yourself by letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And my friends, it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically. We must wake up. A dying church, the first sign of a dying church is that it relies on the past. The second sign is that a dying church rests in complacency. But third, a dying church neglects the completion of God's work. Jesus continues on. He says to them, He says, You have this reputation. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of My God. He says, you know, life is short. And and we're not here on this earth for a very long time. It's It's quick. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes it feels like the years stretch on. But it, it is fast. And before you know it, it's done. Well, God is pleased to give us good things as we pursue uh, our, our dreams and aspirations. He uses those dreams, doesn't He? Sometimes you have a dream of what God wants you to do and where you want to be, who you want to marry, where you're going to go to school, what your career is going to look like, retirement, grandchildren. He puts all those things into our lives and so many of them are so good. And he uses those dreams and he uses those aspirations for the future. And he takes those and he molds those. But never forget that life is not about those dreams and aspirations. They are tools that he will use in your walk with him. But if your dreams and aspirations become the main thing, then you've lost sight of the work that God has called you to do. And many of us are neglecting the completion of God's work. And so... What does that look like? For some of you, maybe you're a star player on the team. Maybe you're athletic and, and everybody looks to you and goes, wow, that, that's the guy. That's the girl. God, God wants you there. He wants you there. But don't neglect God's work because you think that life is about success in the sports that you play. How about in the workplace? Are you successful in work? In whatever God's called you to do? Serve Him there with all your might. Succeed in what you do because you do it under the Lord. But don't think for a minute that your life revolves around that job. It is only a tool. Some of you are intelligent. Incredibly intelligent. You are, are keen and sharp. And, and Some of you excel in academics. And, and when you study, it, just, it comes easily to you. Is it? as a youth in high school and junior high and as an adult. Seek knowledge. Seek wisdom. Enjoy it. Enjoy your studies. But don't find yourself puffed up with pride in the pursuit of a dozen letters after your name because you think that that's your life calling. It's a path for bringing God's glory, God glory and for accomplishing Christ's great commission in this world. You have work to do and you don't want to find yourself with your works incomplete. Brothers and sisters, we are not home yet. We're not home. So let's be careful that we're not relying on the past, that we're not resting in complacency, and that we're not neglecting the completion of God's work. Now one of the things I, I love about Jesus, there's so many things I love about Jesus, but one of the things that I love about Jesus is, is he, he corrects me. He corrects you. He disciplines us. He says, uh-uh, nope, nope, we're not going here. And, and sometimes, oh, it hurts, doesn't it? Sometimes we just don't want to let go of it. And sometimes he says, whoa, whoa, this is wrong. 
But aren't you thankful that He's not a God that says, you're a loser, man! What is wrong with you? I can't believe you did that! I'm done! Does He do that? Is that how the kind of Father that He is to us? No. He's a God who says, okay, wait, whoa, whoa, this isn't right. We've got some stuff to work on here. But He always says, this is wrong, but here's what we're going to do to bring you to, to, to what's right. And, and so Jesus doesn't just address the church of Sardis. Like I said, He skips over the I know your works, good job section. He goes right to the I have these things against you. But He doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, you blew it. So you're done. No, He says, look, this, you blew it. But here's what we're going to do to restore you to doing what's right. He gives not only a threefold, threefold signs of a dying church, but He also gives a threefold plan for restoration. You see, Jesus calls them out and He shows us these three signs of a dying church, but He gives us a threefold plan for restoring the church to where they belong. Number one, the dying church relied on the past, but Jesus commands them to remember. Remember the things that Christ did for you at first. Do you remember those early days of walking with Jesus? Do you remember when you went, wow, my sins are forgiven. He's transformed my life. He's transformed my mind. I'm a new person. Do you remember how wonderful those early days were when, when you saw the contrast between what you were before Christ and what He made you after? And that joy that filled your heart? Remember the things that Christ did for you. Remember the first works and how motivated you were to serve Him. But don't, don't stop there thinking that remembering is sufficient enough. The memory of those first days should revive what's dead. Number two, the dying church. Number two, the dying church rested in complacency, but Jesus commands them to hold fast. Hold fast to what remains. Keep on paying attention to those, the things that Christ is still doing and don't grow slack. Keep pressing on. The dying church neglected the completion of God's work, but Jesus commands them also, thirdly, to repent. Repent of your sins. My friends, regret, regret what you've neglected, but don't stop with the neglect. There's too many of us, we, we look at the sin in our life and we go, oh, I hate this. I hate what, what's happened here. I hate what, what this has become. And then we stop there. Jesus says, don't just, neglect, don't just regret it, but, but turn around. Repent. Do something about it. To repent means to change the mind and, and then the actions follow suit. Before moving on to the last section, last couple of sections, Jesus talks about consequences. You see, he, um, he makes prom a promise to go with the commands. King Cyrus came to the, upon the Croesus like a thief. He had, he had no plan. Croesus had no plan for fighting Persia in the winter. He had no concept of his impregnable wall being scaled. He thought that everything around him was going to kill the armies of Cyrus because the winter was going to come and Cyrus would be caught without food and clothing and shelter. He had no concept of the walls being broken down. He had no plan for how he was going to fight in the winter. Jesus promises the church that if it does not watch, like Croesus did not watch, Jesus says, I will come like a thief 
and you won't know the hour. The challenge here from Jesus is this, this is the, these are the signs of a dying church, and these are the things that you as a church and you as an individual need to do to, to fix the complacency, the stagnancy. Remember, hold fast, repent. And if you don't, his walls thinking everything's going to be okay but I will come like a thief don't be caught off guard Jesus concludes with a section on he who has an ear but before he does that he talks to the one who has the who is the conqueror the conqueror once again is the person who has a relationship with Jesus Christ we are conquerors every Christian is a conqueror and a victor because of what Jesus has done for us and because of what Jesus has done for us he gives us promises Promises that He's not going to take away for failing or failures and success, but promises for every believer that should motivate us to godly living. Should motivate us to say, whoa, look at these things going on in my life. And yet Jesus has given me these incredible promises in the future and in the present. Because of these, I want to walk with Him and I want to obey and it should motivate me to walking with Him. To the church of Sardis, to the overcomer, Jesus offers... He offers three promises to the one who conquers. First, he offers white robes. He offers white robes. You see, even in the midst of those who are not watching, God always keeps a remnant. And in Sardis, he says to them, he says, there's a few of you here, you're still, you still haven't soiled your garments. You ever come home and your, your clothes were just really dirty? Uh, I've told you about the, the town that I used to live in in Cozad, Nebraska. And when I was in Cozad, uh, Monroe shock absorbers employed like a third of the city. Maybe a fourth. There's a lot of people that worked there. And, and uh, I visited with them. And, and I'd see them when they were coming home from work. And, and they would all day long be packing oil and grease into these shock absorbers. And, and the, the, the work clothes would be covered in grease. They would be saturated in petroleum. That, that's just the work that they did. And every day they would come home and, and they would smell like petroleum and they would look like petroleum and they'd be covered in petroleum and oil and grease. One of the guys in my church ran a, uh, a, uh, a laundry store and specifically he served those, those people that worked there and, and they would bring their clothes in and, and they would just be dirty and filthy and they would remove those clothes, they'd put on their clean clothes, they'd take them to, to this, uh, this individual and, and when they got back, those clothes would be bright and clean and, and every stain would be pulled out. And Jesus says to the church of Sardis, he says, there's a few of you here, you haven't soiled your garments you're not walking in these same sins. You're still, there's still some of you that are alive. But to the overcomer, He promises to all of us, I will give to you white robes. You see, unlike the white robes that were worn at Sardis, they had a temple there. And at that temple, uh, they would wear white robes, but the participants there, they would enter into debauchery and all kinds of um, practices in their worship. But Jesus clothes the faithful in white so that they can walk with Him. And He calls them worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in white. Secondly, He promises to the overcomer that their name will be in the book of life. It's a promise to the true Christian. In, in, the, days, in the days when the letter was written, the rulers would keep a register of the, cities, the citizens in the city. There in Sardis, they would have this book and in that book, they would keep a register of, uh, of different things, uh, of the different people that were there. 
And if you committed a crime, or if you died, you'd lose your citizenship and your name would be blotted out. It would be erased. If you're a believer, then you are a conqueror because Christ conquered sin and He conquered death. We have overcome because of the work of Christ on the cross. And your name is written in His register of citizens. If you've trusted Christ, then that name will never be erased. Your name will never be rubbed out. Death and sin no longer have power over you. You are His. And then finally, an amazing promise that He gives to us. He says, I will confess your name before the fathers and His angels. You see, believer, your name is not only written in His register, but He will affirm out loud for all of heaven to hear that you belong to Him. It's not just written down. Your name will be spoken before the Father Himself. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. And knowing that Jesus will one day call out my name, He will one day call out your name, that should motivate you to walk in a manner today that is worthy of the One who died for you. The Spirit testifies to our lives. He knows us. Jesus knows us. He holds us in His hand. What can they say about your life? Do people see something good, but Jesus knows your true heart and He says you're dead? Are you complacent? Have you failed to finish the work that God's called you to do? My friend, finish well. Life is so short. And quite honestly, this is just the rehearsal. This is just the rehearsal for the real thing. Let it never be said that Dwight Evangelical Free Church is a dead church. Let it never be said of you that your Lord has not found your works complete. Here today, what the Spirit says to Sardis, and may we never be the same after. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what You teach us here and for the incredible work that You continue in our lives. I pray that each one of us would take stock of where we are with You, our walk with You. Might each one of us pursue what is right. Might each one of us live to honor and glorify You. Help us to remember the first works. Help us to hold fast and help us to repent of those things that You've called us to turn from. As we turn our hearts to communion today and remembering the the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, it is my prayer that You would take each one of our our hearts and that Your Spirit would shed light. Help us to see those areas where maybe we need to confess and repent. Turn around. Might we be alive for You. In Jesus' name.